Welcome to Club Management. I'm your host, DJ Shannon, and on this show, we talk to artists, DJs, and industry professionals on how they're changing their community through music. You can listen to the show on any platform like SoundCloud, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts. Just type Club Management, and this is episode 82. Back with another episode on this lovely Friday Club Management. We're back. I'm your host, DJ Shannon. Thank you so much for tuning in to the last episode, my first self-reflection episode of 2024. I will be doing more of those uh, every other month. So not next month, but the month after. And what is the month after? (laughs) We're at April. April um, is when I'll come back with another self-reflection episode. And um, I'm really excited to uh, see the updates that I have as we go into the year. Uh, And if I'm holding myself accountable to some of the things that I have written down on my vision board, uh, my to-do list. So super excited. Thank you so much for um, all the lovely messages. And it seems like y'all were super inspired and hyped to hear about some of the things that I have going on for 2024. So even more confirmation, I'll be dishing those out for you this year. Some of you actually emailed me about people that you'd like to have on the show. And I got those emails. Here you noted, I am going to make it happen for you. But without further ado, let's go into this week's episode. And today we dive into the vibrant world of self-taught producer and DJ Next Dimensional. Next Dimensional truly embodies the DIY spirit. In 2018, the producer and DJ packed her bags and made the move from Minneapolis to the bustling streets of Brooklyn. And since then, she's been a force to be reckoned with in the New York City music scene. Independently releasing music and curating her own event series, Lucid Dream, Next Dimensional has become a spark plug. She's taken her fiery sets around the world, igniting the decks in Tokyo, Miami, and New York clubs like Mood Ring and Misabor Cafe. She's got her foot on the gas at all times. She runs her monthly curated event series, Lucid Dream Around the City, and Lucid Radio, alongside creative director and club management alum, Dev Moore. Operating out of their shared studio in Ridgewood, Lucid Radio showcases emerging talent in the underground dance music scene here in New York and abroad. I've actually been featured on the series. And I'd be remiss if I did not mention her incredible production. Next Dimensional Sound and entrancing tracks combine ethereal and wavy soundscapes with pulsing hypnotic dance rhythms. She's got a penchant for a variety, and her original work traverses the realms of breaks, techno, and East Coast-inspired club music. It's a sonic adventure that keeps her audience on their toes, and her new EP, Maze World, perfectly embodies the spirit of her dreamlike electronic production. In this episode, Next Dimensional spoke to me about her upbringing in Minnesota and the DIY culture in her hometown that inspired her love for music and art. We also spoke about her production and the inspiration behind her new EP, Maze World. Check this out. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for chatting with me for the podcast. 
and supporting the podcast. You have just been such a super, super, super big fan of the show. And I appreciate yes. <laughs> all the compliments and messages that I get from you um, after each episode. So thank you so much for supporting. Oh my gosh, of course. Sometimes I feel like a fanatic. I'm like, oh my gosh, Shannon, congrats on paying off your loans. Or like whatever you say in the beginning. It's like totally unrelated to the show. But I know. No, I literally I'll tap in as soon as there's a new episode. My my little routine is I pop it on, I do some cleaning, maybe some cooking. Like it's really my introspection time and like deep learning time. So I'm really in it. It's so great for that. And it's I feel like you always just get so deep with the people you interview. So I'm like. I'm always just genuinely interested in their journeys and yeah. I'm so grateful that you make this. Yes. Oh, thank you so much. And speaking of getting real deep with it, I would say the same for you. You have been getting real deep with everything, music, <laughs> DJing. I mean, it has been so fascinating to watch you not only do your thing behind the decks, but how you give back to the community here in New York City and you know, seeing the people that come out to your shows and have so much fun, like you really have a strong following around you, which is really amazing to see. Thank <laughs> you. Thank you. Yeah, It's been a journey. <laughs> yeah, of course. Well, before we get into that journey, let's talk a little bit about where you come from and, you know, how you started your music journey. Are we, we spoke briefly um, a little bit about your, your upbringing, but you're from Minnesota, if I'm not mistaken? Yeah, so I I am from Minnesota. I'm a Minnesota girl, born and raised. I uh, went to school there, uh, even lived in Minnesota after I graduated from college and then ended up moving to New York a bit later. Yeah. Um, but growing up, my mom was a music teacher, so have to definitely give some credit there for always exposing me to music and like, you know, encouraging me to try things like different instruments and mm. always listening to different music in the house. Um, but as I got older, actually, like before my DJ or production journey at all, my main thing was actually visual art. Um, mm. I was a photographer mainly, and I did a lot of music photography a lot of event photography, even things like weddings and portraits and that and all that. Um, but I photographed a lot of music artists as well, like live. I, I shot artists like Gwen Stefani, like Wiz Khalifa, Big Sean, Steve Aoki, Earl Sweatshirt, J. Cole. Um, I even went as far as to like when I was in college, uh, I was I think I was 19 and I really wanted to shoot South by Southwest, mm. but I was underage. And, you know, South by Southwest, it happens at, uh, at bars. So you have to be 21. Yeah. So I, I literally applied for credentials under my fake ID name and I got them. So I shot the entire festival like underage. I was just super ready to shoot, super in love with the culture. And um, it it really carried through as a string that connected me to music later. Yeah. Um, but basically, uh, I kind of discovered two different paths through photography that that both like led me to music in the end. And the first was like discovering the DIY scene in Minneapolis at the time. Mm. And it was huge. I mean, there were so many really creative and cool spaces. And um, I, I discovered it through trying to find a place to do like a photo meetup for, I had like a photography collective mm. and we wanted to do a meetup and do a photo shoot. So I found this DIY space called Licorice Beach, which mm. ended up being like really, really pivotal to my growth as a creative uh, and a music artist and an artist in general. Mm -hmm. and like fell in love with the space um the person who ran it his name was Tarek he was a very special person to me um he hired me to start working the door there 
So got uh, introduced to so many different pockets of the music scene, like noise shows and like punk shows. And they did like yoga classes in there and uh, uh, political organizing spaces. So I was super ingrained in many different pockets of that scene. And then at the same time as that happened, I was also working on uh, like a, a clothing brand with two of my best friends. This will tie back to music, I swear. <laughs> but, okay. <laughs> um, basically, my so my t- two of my best friends and I, uh, their names are Madison and Gabby Bellato. We formed this streetwear brand and we would um, make a bunch of custom like one of one pieces, screen printed T-shirts. We made visors. We made uh, like denim pieces. And we would always do pop-up shops at different shows. So again, we were just staying like in really cl- close proximity with the music scene there and even styling different music artists um, mm. for our photo shoots, for our drops. And basically like as that progressed and doing all the pop-up shops and like affiliating and we started throwing our own shows for our drops as well and affiliating with different music artists. Um, when that ended up happening, I was like, I want to, create like a radio series for our clothing brand Um, because we saw we were kind of going off of other streetwear brands that expanded into like lifestyle brands and they would have um, like (laughs) kind of corny but like I remember OVO Sound Radio was like big at the time like Drake's uh, label and I I was like we could do Pacify Radio and make it similar format and have guests and my friends there were like well none of us know how to DJ I was like well I think I could teach myself <laughs> because we've been at enough shows at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember um, just becoming really inspired to teach myself. So I just had a laptop and a dream, basically. Downloaded Virtual DJ, started oh. downloading some songs. Yeah. Production journey started around the exact same time um, mm-hmm. because I was like, well, I want to be able to make music that I play as well, right? Mm-hmm. Know what I was doing, clicking around, watching YouTube tutorials. And we we started releasing mixes and like at in the early stages it was like a lot of hip-hop just stuff that we were listening to naturally like a lot of like Nicki Minaj and Rico Nasty Baby Mother like those were kind of some of our favorite artists so we'd always put those in the mixes um Baby Mother so much me too she's so like just incredible artist love her she's probably my top 10 favorite artist oh Uh, Um, so that would I was gonna say I was doing some uh some deep diving on your Instagram page and there's a video of you like dousing yourself in <laughs> in so much paint. Oh my and goodness! That did is that so come funny. from this kind of um creative exploration part of like the early days of your career or your music career? <laughs> yes, Shannon. I we literally I was shooting photos constantly and just I would just do whatever for the photo shoot. Like. <laughs> There are so many photo shoots where like myself or the subject would be just covered in like paint and glitter or like like uh, glow in the dark paint. Like I was just doing whatever at that point. I I feel like I just had so much creative energy and I didn't know like where to direct it that Mm. that was just this was back in like 2015, 2016. So there's just a lot of unbridled creative energy where I just I would just do whatever <laughs> but yes yeah the paint that was such a phase yeah no, it looked really cool and I was like I gotta ask her about this um but you know what every I feel like every artist producer photography or whatever your creative outlet may be you need those years to kind of form and find your voice and how you want to like you know what I mean project that energy um and I'm so glad that you had a space to do it I'm so thankful for 
you know, even places like the Lot Radio. I used to intern Yes. at No Wave years ago. Those Oh, so cool. are spaces that have allowed us to just, you know, create and grow. And that's so important. Um, and yeah, virtual DJ is Yep. so funny. That's how I taught myself how to DJ as well. And No like, way. I'm serious. Yeah. And it, and in my early stages of DJing, I had no, you know, controller. So I was just like doing it with the software off Yep. my finger and just, you know, And just ripping it. <laughs> Yep, exactly. ripping it. but still Yeah. like throwing down at parties that way. So Yep. it, it was a while before I switched over to CDJs. <laughs> Same. I think I, I only learned CDJs uh, over the pandemic. I was DJing with my new Mark controller until then. I did eventually get a controller. It did. It actually took me a couple of years to even get a controller. I was like chilling with my laptop. But yeah, the, the evolution was slow, but, you know, it we got there. We got Yeah. Oh, there. that's that's so also you during the pandemic you taught yourself how to uh, DJ on CDJs. Yes. Yeah. My my roommate and I at the time it was actually so like filling in some gaps. I moved to New York with the same people I started the clothing brand with. It was called Pacify. So um, when we got to New York, like we we didn't continue with the brand, but um, we started doing our different creative pursuits. I was leaning way more into music and production at that time. Um, the other co-creator was going more to graphic design. So one of the the members and I, we started like a little music project. It was called 5G Pyramid. And um, we were just making like very rudimentary dance music. It was It's a fun project. It's still out there. But we were like, we want to learn how to DJ on CDJs. So we bought from Marketplace. It was crazy because everyone was leaving the city and moving. And there was these crazy deals on gear. So we scored um, some CDJ 900s and a DJM 800 for a crazy price on Marketplace. And I remember we had to haul it back from the Upper West Side on the train. And it was just two of us and we're like super weak. <laughs> like we were we we could not make it all the way with with the two CDJs and the mixer and the cases. Like it was so heavy. So we folded and we Ubered back, but it was really funny. Um, Oh my god, that's how you have to do it, you know. yep. <laughs> Before we move on, a little bit more about your hometown. Were there any other spaces that you have fond memories, uh, you know, growing up in Minnesota, um, you know, listening to music or seeing shows that you think about now on today and how that might have, you know, shaped your career as a DJ, a producer? Oh my gosh, yes, 100%. So the classic venue in Minneapolis that's still around today um, is called First Avenue. It's where all the touring artists come through. I don't know the capacity. It has two floors and a stage. I would say it's between 500 and 1,000, maybe. Um, and I, I, would, I would try to go to concerts like underage and just be, you know, sneaky little rascal. I remember... Um, seeing Crystal Castles there was a very pivotal show for me. Um, felt like I was transcending into the astral realm at that one. Um, although their story is like very sad because like the main singer ended up being like abused. So we don't listen to them anymore, but the show was crazy at the time. Um, I remember I went to a major laser show with a friend of mine and we were, um, in the front row and the guy, this is actually a crazy story that doesn't have a great ending, but we got the guy behind us had eaten too much and he threw up on my friend. Um, and he wasn't even drunk was the crazy part. He was just like really hyped for major laser and major laser was like in a, like a hamster ball, like crowd surfing over the crowd in this gigantic plastic hamster ball. It was like insane. 
Um, so major major laser just made him a little woozy, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know, it's crazy. Um, but yeah, we and I've seen some other insane shows there, like Kamasi Washington as well. If you're familiar, he's like a saxophone player. Um, yeah, so just very epic shows throughout the years and um, other DIY spaces that were pretty pivotal. There was one called mothership that was also a, a big space for uh younger emerging artists and like diy as well as this house venue called why world which was like you know many different rooms and levels and different types of shows and so like we got to experience these not only just by going to shows and parties but also by doing pop-up shops there oh and you know what i really want to mention is um my first intro to more uh dance music style events was uh, like a warehouse rave in Minneapolis uh, that's called System, which was kind of my first taste of like the all night. It was very like purist techno at the time. Mm. Um, Yeah, it was very, very epic. And that was kind of my first introduction to uh, dance music. Yeah, so yeah. You too. know what? I there's a lot of incredible scenes that are coming out of Minnesota, and obviously legends that come out of Minnesota. I feel yes. like it gets slept on a lot in terms of music history. You know? Yeah, we got Prince, we got Bob Dylan. I'm more of a Prince fan than a Bob Dylan fan, but yeah, if, if anyone listening ever goes to Minnesota, definitely check out Paisley Park, Prince's former home and recording studio turned museum. Nice. It's very epic. Yes. I also went through um an Alan Kingdom phase who is yes. also from Minnesota. <laughs> yeah, yep. And the, the standard. So it was Alan yes. Kingdom, Corbin, or formerly known as Spooky Black, and there were two other people, right? Am I right? They they, they were really great. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yep. That was that was a great time. Simon and Bobby Raps. Yeah, and well, Bobby Raps. Right. Who is yeah, uh, yeah. So we, uh, we were we were in the same uh, kind of era. They were they were the ones that were kind of like some of their them and some of their affiliates were the ones kind of throwing all the the fun underground parties when I was in college. Mm-hmm. So definitely went out, um, saw them perform multiple times. Um, their DJ threw uh, like a pretty epic party series as well. So it was always popping out to those events as well. Um, Simon definitely still a huge inspiration to this day. I'm always downloading his drum packs. Um, he's super nice. And, um, and we see, and Bobby Raps comes around to New York sometimes too. Uh, uh, disclaimer, he is my, one of my closest friends, brothers. (laughs) Oh, okay. (laughs) That's the context I know him in, but, but he comes around and, um, he's also very nice and he's having a, there, a lot of them went on to have like incredible careers and, you know, produced and become like Grammy nominated and like. Yeah, it, even yeah. though they went in separate directions, they were all definitely huge inspirations for anyone who was in Minneapolis at that time, for sure. For sure. Let's talk about the New York chapter of your career. Um, when did you come to New York City? Yeah, I came to New York August 2018. Yes, August 2018. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I was with my two closest friends at our clothing brand. We had this dream. We were going to come to New York and make clothes didn't happen it's okay though um but we we lived together for about four years we were really like we we were riding off the coattails of this one like really big success we had in Minneapolis where we got to style Princess Nokia Mm. and we had this new shirt design at the time and it was like a it had a very like feminist message on it it was like this design it said like promote support empower all these like positive adjectives and then at the bottom it said women so it was like right after the Me Too movement. So we were very tapped in. 
a lot of our clothing had uh, kind of like messages about different social issues as well. So that was kind of basically Princess Nokia posted the shirt and then it like popped off and we had a ton of international orders and we were screen printing like all night and day um, and shipping. And we were like, let's move to New York. I mean, you know, that's a very simplified version of what happened. <laughs> but like, I mean, there was like a year between when that happened and when we had actually like saved up enough to move. Um and it was good timing. Like I had just gone through a pretty rough breakup and um, my my partners in the clothing brand had gone through like a pretty big loss in their life as well. So we were, it was time for a fresh start. Moved to Bushwick as one does. Um, spent about a year trying to find my footing um, and just kind of meet people. I bought a SP404, which is a very iconic sampler, um, started producing beats with the 404 and got introduced to this collective called Pushing Buttons Collective, PBC. Mm-hmm. And um, Pays Infinite is the person, uh, I think he's either the founder or one of the founders, reached out to me to do my first beat set in New York summer of 2019. So that was like pretty much a year after we had moved. I, I felt a little more settled, still didn't know really what I was doing musically, but I was making a lot of beats. Like I started making a lot of lo-fi beats. I was still DJing, still doing um, Pacify Radio and playing here and there. Um, I started doing like beat ciphers, beat shows. That was really fun. And then um, 20, yeah, it must have been like fall 2019. I met my current partner, um, Dev Moore, who um, at the time we did all like basically I, I was DJing at one of uh, the shows that he was producing. And it was crazy now to think back about it because it was in um, Casa Maya, which formerly was called Kitchen, a Korean restaurant. Um, basically, it was like myself. They had um, Aisha, who was formerly known as Ice Cold, uh, DJing. And I remember I was so scared because I didn't know how to use CDJs and I had my Newmark controller on my laptop and I didn't know how to plug it into the mixer. And I don't know if Aisha remembers this, but she was so nice to me and helped me plug everything in and was like so chill about it. And I just, I always remember that that was my first time playing out in New York um, as a DJ. So that will always stay in my mind because she was so nice. (laughs) Oh my God, I love that. Yeah, good memory. Um yeah no yes i was looking at um some of the beat tapes that um or some of the beat content that i saw you share on your instagram page and actually i was listening to uh, forgive me if i'm pronouncing this wrong but is it the satya beat tape that you came out with yeah satya it's um yeah yeah, that was like a long format beat project and now it's it's just on Bandcamp at this point but that was just like a a deeper exploration of uh, like lo-fi beats, my vocals are sampled a lot on it. But the, the thing that was really holding me back that I didn't even realize was the DAW that I was using to produce was like highly limiting. And I didn't know because it was all I had ever tried. Um, but I was producing on this doll called Machine, and don't get me wrong, there's good things about it, but 
at some point I switched over to Ableton and I never looked back. I was like, I should, so, you know, as you start your producer journey, Shannon, I would suggest definitely use Ableton because it is so like way more user-friendly than machine. I think the other ones are good too. Logic seems pretty good. Reason, mm. I would not mess with that. FL Studio seems pretty good too, mm. but machine just don't. Don't even mess with it. <laughs> You're like, it's not even worth it. <laughs> it's like, it's not worth it. But, um, yeah. but yeah, so Satya was, it was really beautiful. Like it's a, it's a very chill project. It's, it was kind of meant for like a night drive type situation. Yeah. Um, but then I just did like a full 180 pivot into dance music. So that was kind of my last beat release yeah. um, for the time being at, at least. Um, I think, no. right? No, go ahead. No, I was just saying, I, I had it on in the background yesterday because I was just trying to get some last minute work done. And I was like, oh, okay, love this. <laughs> this is definitely giving me the chill, calm vibes that I need to focus in. And um, I was going to ask if that was your voice sampled throughout the project because it yes. sounded so good. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I am I do sample my voice a lot in my productions. Yeah. So if you ever hear a little singing, <laughs> it might not be. I do sample a lot of things, but I do sample myself when I can. It sounds so good. Um, but yeah, let's talk about that pivot into dance music and how that informs what you do with your events. When did you start throwing parties in New York City? Okay, so <laughs> it's a great question because it started as honestly an accident and it just <laughs> kind of grew from there. But basically, um, it was mid-2021 and things were starting to open back up. And I really wanted to throw a show like it was just in me. I was, I was just like, I want to just experiment and try something. I haven't thrown a show in, in years. Let's do it. And Dev and I were kind of plotting some different places that could potentially work. Um, we got a Thursday at Hollow. And I was like, we, you know, we booked some people that we knew or that Dev knew. Uh, it was a really great lineup. Um, but I was like, OK, how do we get people to come and I started just kind of randomly posting on different social medias and out of nowhere, um, one of my TikToks went like crazy, crazy viral, just literally off of nothing, like off of like a 10 second video. And um, the show sold out within like two days. Wow. It was unreal. It was, we sold 300 tickets and it was like, I think it was just the perfect combination of people, um, wanting to go out and not having the opportunity to for so long and things just opening back up. And then I think it was also the combination of young people who had turned 21 during mm -hmm. lockdown and didn't really know where to go or what to do. And they're online 24 seven because they're in lockdown. So they're like, <laughs> wow, a party that looks crazy, you know? Um, and I think another thing was that couple weeks before that we had experimented with throwing a rooftop show like a DIY like a renegade type situation uh at a friend's place and so we had just like a couple random clips from that it wasn't anything crazy or big and it didn't even go that late it was, I think it got shut down at like 12 30 by the cops but like mm -hmm. we I had a couple clips from that so I think people were like whoa like where is this this looks so sick and underground like I want to go and I was like well this, this show's different but you know like go <laughs> off um <laughs> so after we threw the one show um, I had people messaging me nonstop, when's the next one? And I was like, well, I didn't plan that far ahead. What do you mean, when's the next one? Like, wow. And so Dev and I were like, well, should we do another one? And then we did a Tuesday night at Bossa, 
and there was like a line down the block. It was nuts. What? On a Tuesday night? On a Tuesday. Well, I, you know, Boston always has people no matter what. But like this was, I was like, I remember I gave them, because uh, I, you know, there, we, we did RSVPs since they didn't do pre-sale tickets for the Tuesday. They were like, why do you need, you need pre-sale tickets? And we were like, okay, we'll just do RSVPs. So we got like hundreds and hundreds of RSVPs. And um, we were like, oh, okay, here's our guest list for tonight. I remember we we gave the door person a guest list. They were like, why do you need a guest list? It's a Tuesday. And then there was like an out within an hour, there was like a line all the way down the block. And I was like, that's why we need to get this. <laughs> but no, it was that was an epic show. And then we did the Sultan Room. Um, we did Elsewhere Loft. We did, we had a boat show that was like oh, unreal. I saw that. <laughs> um, that I played at the party.mp3 event. Oh, yeah. That was in February 2022, right? Yes. Now that was a heater, too. Oh, my God. That was probably one of my favorite ones, even though Rash like kind of went up and, well, yeah. I was going to say it went up in flames, but that is too literal. So I don't want to make a joke about that because it was yeah, very no, sad. Sure, but sure. Rash, I feel like, you know, their reputation has gone through a, a bit of a shift. But at the time, Rash was like new and different and people wanted to check it out. Mm -hmm. um, we had never worked with the Rash owners before. And, and um, so we were like, all right, let's just give it a try. Yeah. And yeah, it was you and Varsha, who at the time lived in the Bay Area, and now is my uh, neighbor, is my oh, next door neighbor. So yeah, she she lives out in New York now. But yeah, that was a such an epic show with you yeah. and Varsha. That was um, so much fun. What's the secret to throwing a good party? Um, is there any like rhyme or reason that you use to throw your events or, you know, things that you keep in mind when you're curating a party? Definitely. I think, okay, honestly, when I first started and um, we had that one off that just went, that just popped off, I didn't know what I was doing. Mm -hmm. And I made a lot of mistakes and I continued to make mistakes for the next probably like 10 shows until I was like, oh, maybe I should do things a little bit differently. It's not like they were crazy big mistakes or anything, but if I could go back and like tell myself how to, what I should change, I, I totally would because it's hard and there aren't, there's not a blueprint for it. And there aren't really a lot of resources to tell you um, how to, how to do things and like yeah. manage people's expectations and, you know, make sure that everybody has their uh, needs met and like how to work with different venues, you know, like there's so many factors. Um, and like, for me, the, the, one of the top reasons why, I like throwing shows and why I, I want to do it. It's not just to like have a fun party. Cause that's, that's like not, I'm not even really interested in that, but it's more like, like platforming people and, uh, and, and kind of subverting expectations of who uh, may get booked. And also um, like sharing artists who might not be doing something really cool or unique, but they might not have mainstream support. Mm. um just highlighting up and coming artists giving people new experiences like people who have never played in new york before it's a huge deal and like as somebody born and raised in minnesota like there was never that type of infrastructure there to do a lot of things that are possible in new york um or you would just have to work really really hard for a really long time to break gates right but I, it's really special and i think a lot of people forget that and like that's why i love giving people like uh or if I can help in any way to get someone maybe their first experience playing here or 
somebody who's like been here forever, but like somehow hasn't been uh, like tapped in with the right platform to like elevate their art. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's like a, it's a, it's like a combo. But um, I feel like I strayed really far away from your question. But okay, yeah, yeah. okay, I remember. So like, um, I think I don't think there's any one secret, but I I think like at the end of the day, the most important thing is like the people and and what they walk away with the people you're working with mm-hmm. so everyone from the artists that you're booking like how can you best um meet their expectations and make sure you're on the same page the venue um you know something that people forget is like pe- the venue and everyone who's working that night will remember how it was to work with you mm-hmm. so like are you making sure you know their names yeah. um do do you thank them at the end of the night are you making sure that like you're encouraging people to go to the bar, even though I, I like hate that venues are based on alcohol sales, but it's like, you know, it's, it's symbiotic. You want the venue to have a good memory of working with you. You want your people to have a good memory of uh, working with you and ultimately just give people a good experience, whether it's like someone attending the show or working with you behind the scenes. And then I also think that it may be a way to do that, which is something I've been um, leaning into more lately is, uh, is like, kind of doing a like a less is more type lineup where it's three artists rather than mm. I love booking as many people as possible but it kind of sucks when you have five artists on the bill and then it's one hour sets and like there's pretty obviously set times that are less favorable than others you know yeah. so I think having longer set times is the way and I'm going to try to prioritize that um in all future shows so that people also an hour is so short you know you know what and I just I was that's so funny that you just said that I was just thinking that the other day like an hour-long set is just it is short it goes by so fast so I I experimented with that same concept um for the party that we had uh what was that on the 23rd at Jupiter Disco and it was quite nice having some time to have like a long stretched out set people you know, I just felt like the vibe was different. Like it really kept the energy up in the room, you know, having each DJ do like a two hour yes. set or like an hour and a half. That was quite nice. Totally, yeah. totally, totally. Yeah. And like, obviously, I think um, focusing in as well on why your event exists and what you're trying to do with it, because at first, again, <laughs> We learned, we grew, but I had no direction. I was like, let me just, let's play a show with some friends, which I mean, that's valid as well, but I think it's so much more impactful when you have a vision. Yeah. Um, so I'd say for the first probably year of throwing shows, I, 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 the vision was, it wasn't 2020. Okay. Like, uh, <laughs> like I think that we curated and produced some amazing experiences, but now, more than ever I feel more confident about the actual vision and direction of it um like we changed the name in 2022 uh at first it was called secret which was honestly it was a joke I was like what can we call our party and I was like to Dev and I was like oh we should call it secret but it was I don't know anyway we changed it it's now lucid dream um and it has been since then uh and like really if people were to ask me what the like what the curation kind of falls under i Mm -hmm. always 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 am prioritizing women um but also up-and-coming artists as well Mm -hmm. so it's kind of a like a blend um 
I think in everything that I do, I've always wanted to see uh, like women succeed for the most part, Um, as well as like all other underrepresented groups. But, you know, speaking for myself and like, I I think that's always at the forefront. Um, And I think with that vision in mind, that's that's what we try to aim for. Mm-hmm. And it's always a fun time. I uh, was looking at some of the videos that you posted from uh, the show that you did at Misa Bora Cafe, which is someplace I still haven't been in the Neither damn city. Been. That's messed up. Wait, <laughs> you should go on. I don't know when this episode is going to air, but February 9th, Hard Ballet is happening at mm-hmm. Misa Bora. I think it's happening at Misa Bora, but that's an epic party and it's like going to be so crazy. So. Yes, that would be a good opportunity to go <laughs> yes i'm definitely gonna go it always looks like it's a go, uh, dope time um you know and one more question with the event curation you know for me i'm still trying to find the perfect balance between you know carrying out my vision for what i want an event to look like and also keeping the club's needs in mind right because at the end of the day they have to sell tickets and make money from you know whatever have you you seem to have the formula down quite well like every time I see you you're like we sold out a good party and I'm like damn that's (laughs) awesome (laughs) um how have you kind of found your your groove in you know dancing between that line of what you like to do in terms of your event and also appeasing to the club's needs as well make an email list is Mm -hmm. my number one tip for anyone doing anything because like you can't rely on any one social media to be in your favor forever. Like if you, if you're, let's say you're really popular on Twitter tomorrow, the algorithm might change and suddenly you're not getting as many eyes on your promo or like yeah. same with Instagram, same with TikTok. You can't trust your, like any one singular platform because you don't own that. So if you have an email list, you own those emails forever. You can email them through whatever platform but you own them. Also, um, Substack is a thing that um, Dev and I have been considering for the upcoming year, as well as things like Patreon. I don't have one yet. I know you do. Do you yeah. recommend Patreon? Yeah, yeah. Patreon is great. Definitely. Yeah. You know, and it's also a great place. Like, let's say if you have some exclusive things that you can offer your, you know, your community, they get it first, you know, before any, before anybody else can, you know, have access to it. It's a great way to share you know, some goodies that you might not necessarily want to have give to everybody, I guess, but, you know, as a gift to your community or your, your dedicated followers, listeners, whatever have you, you know? Totally. Yeah. I think like having something that you can take ownership of and that's yours and that's not based on an algorithm, but it's people who actively want to be part of that list, which is also really important. If anyone is considering doing an email list, you can't just put anyone's email on there. They have to sign up. You have to have a sign up form. That's it's like a legal thing. So make sure you have that. Um, but yeah, that would be one tip that I would definitely put out into the world More email lists. I love that so much. Um, are you a TikTok star? <laughs> um, I I do use TikTok like okay. from time to time. Like I feel like I uh have done different things with it, but it's all been within the niche of music. Um this past fall I did a teaching series on TikTok. Um also I do teach beginner DJ lessons in real life. Yeah. Um I've had several students who have gone on to play their first shows like at my show 
or even go on to start throwing their own shows, which is super, super inspiring. Um, I love teaching. I think it's probably an influence from my mom being a music teacher growing up. Um, I got that teacher in me. Uh, so even though I, I would not consider myself like a master DJ or like a master producer or anything, like I, I hate that term, but I do think that my brain works in a way that like, I know what it's like to be struggling and not know what you're doing and have, and not know even what questions to ask as a beginner. Mm-hmm. So I tried to basically, I say that to say, I made an intro to DJing um, TikTok series. And it was like every day I was posting a new part to the series for 30 full days. It oh, was yeah. so hard. It was it was actually a lot of work. I was like, oh, I'm just gonna do 30 days series. I've mm-hmm. never posted for 30 days in my life. Like, I don't know what I was thinking <laughs> doing that, but I committed to it. I just did it because I feel like that info should be out there. And I honestly... Everyone's like, oh, there's too many DJs. There's too many DJs. I don't think that's true. And I think that more DJs is good for music in general because more people's music gets played. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's not like I'm teaching. It's not like I'm sharing anything that's not already public info. It's just shared in a more digestible way. So, yeah, I've had a lot of people message me since then and share their first recorded sets with me, which has been super inspiring. Like I broke it down into really, really small steps. So like step one is like downloading record box and step, you know, like one of the steps is like learning what, where the different buttons are on a mixer or like, what does the cue button do? How do you use headphones? You know, um, when do you use headphones? Why do we use headphones? What is beat matching? What is phrase matching? Like stuff like that. And, um, at the end of the series, I encourage people to try and record their first mix. Um, that's like kind of a tangible goal that I use with a lot of my students uh, because it's something that they can have, something that they can be proud of, and also something that they can use to kind of build their like portfolio as an artist and send around or submit to a mix series, things like that. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I've had a, a lot of people DM me their first ever mixes and I listen to all of them and I give yeah. feedback. Like, obviously I'm, I never give bad feedback. I'm not like, you really messed up this blend, but I'll, you know, it's like people need encouragement and especially women artists and like yeah. artists who just don't see a lot of other artists like them to, you know, to just put it simply, it's yeah. like, and especially if you're like, this is the other thing is living in New York. I feel like we have the highest concentration of super super talented women djs Mm -hmm. in the world in the world and i'll stand on that like when i was in minnesota there was like two women djs (laughs) i'm not even kidding there was two um and you know like barely any like non-binary representation queer representation it was like very very predominantly male Mm -hmm. and i will never forget how that felt to like come to new york and be like whoa there's so much talent here and i know that might sound kind of like I don't even know how it might sound, but basically I just, I don't forget how that feels because I know that there's so many other young people or people of any age out there who probably just like don't see themselves represented uh, as a, as a DJ, as a music producer, whatever they want to be. Mm-hmm. And like the second you see that everything can change, you know? Yeah, no, and for sure. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's it's cool to see people like at whatever level or age, someone was like, I've always wanted to DJ and I, uh, I was too scared to start or like things like that. And I think people just need encouragement sometimes. Like they, it's not that hard, you know, it's just like you have to put in work and you need to feel like you can do it. Yeah, 
yes, yes. And it, I was going to say it was really quite nice seeing all the people in the comments of the um, of the DJ series saying, you know, hey, thank you so much for sharing this. We didn't know how to get started or where to even go to even think about getting started. And you kind of broke it down in this really fun, interactive, patient way for folks who, you know, just want to learn. And I really, really love the series, too. Um, yeah, Thank I mean, you. we need we need more spaces for folks to learn how to DJ produce even like I want to start my production journey. And I am so just like, yeah, overwhelmed by the process. I don't even know where to start. <laughs> we so, can, we're going to have a chat about that because yeah. you definitely need to start your producer journey and yeah. you can definitely do it. You have oh. all the tools. Yeah, we're yeah. going to have a chat about that. <laughs> yes, of course. I need all the help I can get. Um, yeah, let's let's shift to talk about your production. Um, I just saw your post. You have a new project coming out on January 10th called Maze World. Tell me yes, about this. Yes. Yeah. So um, Maze World is my going to be coming out throughout the month. I'm dropping a single January 10th called Maze World. And the, then the actual EP will be coming out January 24th. So Depending on when this drops, you may already be able to hear it. Maybe not, but um, it's a four-track EP. It's very fun. It's very inspired by early 2000s uh, internet culture, youth culture, computer games. Um, sampled a lot of uh, various 2000s references that are kind of hidden throughout the project. So keep an ear out for that. Uh, but yeah, I'm super excited to drop it. I started the project in July, finished it in December, and I've been I've been playing the tracks out as well. So some people who have come to a set, I'll, I literally, I like to get on the mic in sets recently for some reason. Like, I feel like it adds another level of crowd engagement, depending on the venue, I guess. But like, especially at Mood Ring, I'm always just being silly on the mic. So I'll always let people know when I'm playing my own demos. <laughs> um and just get get some crowd reactions um i'll be like you guys like this should i put this one out or no <laughs> um, not nah, just kidding but all the art was done by cyberville who is the co-founder of euphoria the party series um i think they have a residency right now at nowadays they do a lot of shows at transpicos um so yeah Cyberbull is an amazing photographer. And then I also have some, uh, like a visualizer for the single done by um, my friend Angel, whose music artist name is Yesterday Never Happened, who wow. makes very cool, um, very uh, internet inspired and uh, breaky style music. Uh, definitely check them out as well. Yeah, I can't wait to hear it. Um, I know that me and a bunch of DJs have been playing tracks from the Forbidden Track series. I yes. literally, I jumped out of my seat when you sampled Alexander O'Neill in one of the tracks. Yes, uh, I love that song. Oh too. my God. I was like, what did Lisa know about Alexander O'Neill? <laughs> So for Bin Tracks, for anyone who doesn't know, that's my um, uh, it's my edit pack series. So it's always free, and it's I really honestly only flip music that I deeply love or have listened to for a long time. 
So for example, I flipped Rico Nasty. I've done like an Outcast flip. I've done like a Drake and Yeet flip, um, a Future flip. And honestly, uh, the edit packs are more about production practice for me. I, I don't necessarily want to be known as like an edits producer or especially because I use a lot of like Jersey drums, Baltimore style drums. Um, and I don't want to like, I don't want to be like, I'm a Jersey club producer because I'm absolutely not. But I do like to play with different production styles. And um, it's really just an homage to artists that I love. And it's just a way to get ideas off, have fun and something, create something danceable and mm. something that'll go up in the club. <laughs> and mm. you definitely have been a big supporter of my edit packs. So thank you. Every time I see you play them on the lot radio, I like jump up <laughs> and I'm like, yes. They're great. Oh, my God. And um, I love that uh, not too long ago, M. Blue Jr. played the Tori Moi edit that you played. Of oh, yeah, that was made. so nice. That was yeah. super nice of him. I know. And the, somebody got a great clip where, yeah, it was like Tori Moi edit this, of the song Rose Quartz, which is just an epic, epic song. If, if anyone doesn't know it, also definitely watch the music video if you've never watched it. It's so sick. It's like rotoscoped animation. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, yeah. Uh, when I saw that uh, Stony Blue played it for Boiler Room and there was like this clip and someone was screaming, I love Tori I was like, wait, that's me. <laughs> like, like, it's not, you know, but like I like said that when I was producing the track, I was like, I love this song. I love Tori That was exactly what was going through my head. So it was just <laughs> yeah, it was... fun to see that. It's yeah, yeah, it's cool. I feel like edits are like a, a really shareable form of music communication. And it's it's cool to connect with things that, you that are familiar you know there's always mm -hmm. this balance when you're DJing of playing introducing a crowd to new tracks that they've never heard before and inspiring them in that way and also playing things that give us that familiar nostalgia so edits are a really cool way to balance the two mm -hmm, for sure oh my god I can't wait um what can we expect on the party front from you this year oh my goodness so Definitely want to go international. Um, some things are in the works for some international appearances and potentially parties. I uh, can't say too much yet, but yeah. some different continents are involved. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I'm planning my release show right now. It hasn't been announced yet, but it's at a very special secret location Ooh. in Greenpoint. Mm -hmm. um i am also uh see, i don't know how much i can say <laughs> I'm, I'm okay <laughs> i have a very 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 exciting booking announcement uh for something in a couple of months playing one of my absolute favorite clubs so i'm very very excited about that oh um yeah. but as far as organizing that's I honestly didn't plan too far ahead this year because I planned I did so many shows last year uh, that I just kind of want to take a break, focus on production and then focus more on uh, events centered around those releases. I think that's going to be the vibe this year. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God, I can't wait. And I will be at all of them. My Sweet. <laughs> yeah, my thing now that I have you know, gotten those crazy student loans out of the way is I want to go to a show every weekend. And I feel like there wow. needs to be more visual uh, documentation of all the incredible scenes that we've got 
going on here. So I need to go get a camera and just start shooting different events. And I just, I, I have a whole vision of mine. I want to make a whole series. So I will be there taking pictures, videos. <laughs> Whoa, Shannon photographer era. Love yeah, that. The photographer era is coming in, sis. So I'm excited about all of it. And it's so happy to see you grow. And thank you so much for supporting me over the years. I mean, you and Dev, you, you both have just been so um, you know, incredible in supporting what DJ Shannon does. So thank you so much. We will be on the front line supporting literally whatever you do. So <laughs> don't worry about it. We're going to stick around. coming out of the interview between me and Next Dimensional. What a treat that was. And this episode falls on the perfect day because uh, Next Dimensional will be having her EP release party for May's World today, February 9th at 10 p.m. But here's the catch. It's at a secret location and you're going to have to buy a ticket if you want the location and if you want to get in. But it sounds so crazy. It's going to be Next Dimensional, Honeybee, uh, Syringe, and Dev Moore on the lineup. So go cop tickets. I'll have that in the uh, you know episode bio section on SoundCloud and wherever you get your podcast whether that be on spotify apple uh so that you can go get yourself a ticket and attend i want to be there i i'm going to be there so definitely come on down and let's party together and support next dimensional uh just this was a wonderful conversation and uh circles back to a lot that i was talking about on the previous episode about wanting to get into production maybe being slightly fearful but i'm gonna do it anyway and the good sis next dimensional actually sent me this whole beautiful folder of um you know beats and um things that will help me get on track to building my own work and my own music so I have a head start and thank you so much for doing that. I really appreciate you so much and appreciate all that you do for the community. Oh my God. Next Dimensional is a big fan of club management too. She has uh, listened to all of the shows. Every time I drop an episode, I always get a sweet message from her after I drop an episode saying that she's really, you know, taken to some of the content shared in the show or um, some of the advice that the artists have shared in the past. So thank you so much for all of your support and all that you do here in the New York City dance scene and beyond. We love you so much. All right. So until next time, we'll be back with another episode the week after next. So not the 16th, but February 23rd. And it's going to be a great episode. So make sure to tune in. Peace, love, God bless. Until next time.